Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to Andrew, a retired professional rugby player, winning the Rugby World Cup in 2003, and now the executive chairman of an organisation, a tech leader with a passion for helping the electronic industry care for our planet, creating circular economies, making sure that electronic waste becomes an asset for the industry. So let's not delay. Let's get Andrew into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, so um, I yeah, I'm ten years in in my industry, um, which is pretty pretty scary. Um, having uh, left school um, playing rugby and it uh, became professional immediately. I went to university, so I've spent pretty much twenty years of my life, um, sixteen of those being a professional sportsman and transitioned out of out of rugby into then um, my father's business um, and therefore a sort of family business and we specialize in the reverse logistics of technology for businesses where they're a large user base an employee base where technology can become a mountain of waste and it's turning, it's providing sustainable solutions to bring that back um, and, you know, basically not throw it into landfill is a very sort of um, prehistoric way of thinking because we've never, we're 20 years old and we've never wasted anything and yes. we've been zero to landfill for a number of years now. So it's a prehistoric term. This, this, These metals... Um, from technology are reused um, and they're reused in very various different products we take those and we feed these back into the manufacturing loop to stop mining but we've got to do this sustainably and we've got to um, be able to make this economic um, and there are lots of uh, reasons why we should be doing it um, mainly the environment so yeah so I'm in a it, I, you know, having um, started 10 years ago, the company's 20 years old, um, I still feel like we're in a new niche vertical industry, feel, still feel like a startup. Um, it's crazy in, in, those, uh, in those terms. So um, having been very lucky enough to win a Rugby World Cup, um, I always termed it that I was trying to win in business a World Cup, uh, and this is it. Brilliant. I love it. I, I'd love to talk more about your rugby because, you know, I, 
I, I don't personally follow rugby myself, but I have started to ever since. I do I anymore, by the way, TC. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but it's a great kind of background you've got. I mean, it's um, I find it fascinating how you've kind of gone from a very kind of sports orientated, well, incredibly sports orientated kind of background yeah. into, into an area. And there's a, a sense from conversations we've had before, there's a real passion behind this. Um, um, I'm, I'm really curious as the kind of the handover from your, you know, your dad, who sounds like a fantastic human being and, and, the, and the great work that you started. Was it a case of he embedded some values into you around that, that got you passionate about this as well? Well, first and foremost, he, he introduced me to rugby and wanted me to play rugby when sort of as a, you know, as a five-year-old, I'm kicking a football around, I'm supporting, unfortunately, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and, you know, they must have won a cup around that time because, you know, most children will be watching the TV and they'll see a team winning and go, that's the team I'm supporting. <laughs> and it was just unfortunate that Spurs must have won something in, in that era. And, and But it was just, you know, him introducing me to rugby. He actually, uh, we, we moved quite a lot as uh, in, my, in my younger days. And, and so he would always move somewhere and try and find the rugby club. And that was the way that he uh, made friends and, 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 and sort of built his community up, if you like. And, and so what happened then was um, we, we, we went to, uh, um, we found ourselves in Bista, uh, which is synonymous now for Bista Village. And um, the rugby club backs onto Bista Village. And we turned up one Sunday morning and there was just, there was no one there. So, you know, dad was like, oh, they must not be training. It, it, it just so happened there was no mini rugby so three dads including my father set it up and I think that just became very I became so passionate about helping people through the vehicle of sport mainly rugby union because of the power of the values now in professionalism rugby has been through some some um, some challenges around stretching those values and not being um, you know being at the height of sportsmanship and that's what professional and money does to a game. But it but it will always, you know, part of our job as ex-players is to maintain that those values. And it's like the old school traditions. Uh, and Johnny will, will feel the same way. Um, you know, we all have a duty to keep those traditions and values. Values are really, really important to, to the, to the uh, rugby community. And, and so I think sport just became and we had no idea at the time, you know, that there was potentially a, a job for me there in the future. He had an inkling it could go professional, but rugby was very traditional. It was an amateur game and they wanted to protect it. Anyway, cut a long story short, it happened and it went professional. I mean, it was an absolute, so blessed and, and a dream. Um, a, to play for your country, that was a dream. Um, but play it when it was just becoming professional. So I did... Um, first get capped in 1996 and it had just turned professional so we were all sort of effectively making it up I mean it, it, you know we had one coach um, at the time and there was probably three people on the bench uh, so yeah so that that's that then just became a business and I was always intrigued dad doing business he kept he kept me abreast but he also kept me away from it because it was so much more fun what I was doing compared to the grind of business. Yeah. But I was always very interested in what he was up to, what he was doing. And I worked for him during the, you know, some, some of the breaks and off seasons to get some, some, uh, some pocket money back in the day when it was amateur. 
so I knew kind of what he was up to and what he was doing and but I never thought I would um I would join the business I had my sort of I had my um ideas and I also wanted to having witnessed professional sport uh, at you know the, the kind of the lower end to the higher end of playing for your country I knew there was a long way to go in it and I mm. really wanted to make it better for the players yeah. and um that was uh one of my goals um that that's dwindled and gone pretty much now because I've moved away but I was always wanting to start a business and so I did I had a business while I was still playing and that taught me a huge amount and I think the what was really interesting to me was that there's a lack of or at the time there was a lack of investment in the individuals and players so we 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 never really had media training you know so I paid for myself to get media training through some some very special people that sort of mentored me and helped me during my career um and, and also I was considering very early on what was I going to do next you know pl plenty of the older generation of players would always go it's over before you know it mm. you know enjoy every single moment because you can't do this forever and when you're young and you're you know you're just loving life you you never really think about it because you're so in the now you're not thinking about the future and so I was always then became um intrigued about what business was doing and then when I started uh, it was a startup angel investment so I had to pitch to you know 70 people which was very nerve-wracking it was nerve-wracking standing up in front of the players because they were all going to take the mickey out of you you know <laughs> and she said something wrong or whatever you were you were nervous about that uh, but this was a different kind of nervousness you know in front of experts that were that that were investors and and then being on a board i realized how as players we were underinvested and i was really worried about that so when i learned a lot from these board members and how professional it was and serious it was in from a business context when I went back to rugby and all this joking around and having a laugh it really and I was one of the protagonists as well I really flipped and I really really drilled down um, into you know a team's uh, USP and, and then hone that USP yes we've got weaknesses but if we're so good at something, then they will never attack our weakness kind of thing. So I was really then, uh, I had this emphasis on no matter what your strength is, make it so much better, make it world-class. Yes, work on your weaknesses, but but really, really focus on your strengths because every team, every business will have a weakness. It's yeah. just, it, when you have human beings in there, no matter what systems or whatever, you will have weaknesses. And, and so I, I just became obsessed, I guess, about teamwork, teamship, um, the hierarchy, um, your, what, what are you selling? What's your product USP? And then in business, you don't have a fan base in terms of an audience that come and watch you. Uh, you know, and I, I reflected quite heavily on walking into a boardroom versus walking into a stadium. We used to walk into an England stadium, 90,000 people, they would cheer you in. I hadn't done anything yet. Yeah. And they would cheer you in, idolize you. And it gave you this adrenaline boost and lift that you wanted to not let them down. You wanted to perform. 
and and trying to get that in business. I used to walk into my board and it would be like, oh no, here we go. It's like walking <laughs> Mordor, you know, yes. what have we done wrong? Why is it not working? Yeah. And and trying to bring that into to business, I think it's a really important um, kind of parallel. So so I, I became obsessed with the parallels of business and sport and vice versa. Um, and not that I go into it, but I went into one bank as a customer and that customer said, you know what, Andy, whatever you're doing isn't that important to the bank. They, no, they don't really care. But actually, you would make more money by coming in here and teaching us culture. And I was, yeah. I was pretty stunned by that. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Because uh, one of the interesting things about having you on as a guest, because obviously, you know, the title of the podcast is Reverse CTO. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to drill further down into the, the details of what your company does. But yeah. I, I love this kind of bridge between your kind of sporting uh, background, the philosophy around the sport, you know, what, what made success in the sport. And this idea of, uh, you know, um, championing people before they've even done something, you know, I love that because yeah, that never happens in business. It really doesn't happen. So, I mean, do you do that in your business now? Do you kind of, uh, do you use some of the philosophy of sports in, in your organization? I mean, I try to, and what, 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 you know, it is very, very different. Uh, and, um, you know, people could probably see you coming. Here he comes, you know, <laughs> cheerleader. Um, he's not going to do anything, but he's going to sort of try to inspire us. I, I think it's a balance. I, and I, um, you know, my, I have a, a business partner who is a mentor to me currently. And, you know, being chairman of the business, it's about the balanced approach. It's a balanced life. We're always trying to get a balanced life. And, you know, we... <laughs> one thing's for sure mistakes happen everywhere and you know and it's not being cruel about it and 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 trying to help people because doing that on a sports field in front of 90,000 people is very visible mm -hmm. and you won't get selected you won't get picked again and about the culture in the team is about positivity and we used to have these triggers of positivity which was somebody coming up to you slapping you on the on the shoulder and saying next job and trying to switch your mindset into the next job. So yeah. we used to call it next job. It's a simple, simple trigger. So I think in business, it's hard to replicate those kind of next job moments. But I think um, being kind, being respectful, understanding, so using the two ears, you've got one mouth, two ears, using those to find out why. Why, why is the mistake being made? How can you support with any decision-making? Uh, and positively say we can do this and, and, and on offering support the whole time. So I find myself in different areas, although I don't um, necessarily uh, affect it by my actions, my decision making will affect it. It's just got to be positive. This will happen. It'll be good. And then the other thing, which is um, um, my other business partner will say I'm very impatient. And so trying to bring patience that if it doesn't happen the next time, as long as progress is being made, that's all you can do in life. Progress, progress, progress. Um, and looking in the mirror each day from a, as a sportsman, it was always around progress. It's, you know, if you did uh, 90 passes out of 100 that were perfect, okay, tomorrow's 91 is a, is a, is a positive, it's progress, not doing 100. And I think um, all these parallels in, in sport to business have massively helped me. There's no, there's no question. Um, but yeah, I still have been frustrated because I find sport, if you don't fix it very quickly, the next week and the week after, yeah. you're almost fighting relegation and then you're out. You're yeah. out of the FTSE 100, if you like. Yeah. And, and that's tough, right? So in, in business, we sort of 
we build systems and we build businesses with so many people and it takes an age to turn people would always say oh we're a big oil tanker it takes an age for us um you know to turn and i'm thinking well if you don't turn you're not going to be relevant you're going to lose business and so i would ask people how do i negotiate this and then somebody uh who's a um a customer said well tell them is that they're a big oil tanker and they got a big hole in the side of their ship <laughs> they better turn quickly as they're going to pollute the pollute the world and i thought yeah. no that's a good sort of analogy so yeah. so it's just using all of these things to try and uh, motivate engage um you know positively um you know impact people to do it quicker Brilliant. I love that. The, the psychology you described here, I think it's great tips for uh, these are going to be key takeaways uh, from uh, the podcast, because I think leaders sometimes do find that, you know, this you describe it as this kind of downward negative spiral. You know, and what you're doing is, you know, the next job is stop. You know, how do we get it going the other way? And I love that. I'm going to take that on board myself, you know, so thank you for sharing about, those. And, and, and whatever your objective was, it's about, you know, that would be the long end game you know we all want to win world cup we all want to win the league but actually and that was what was great with the premiership in rugby where they they changed it to um playoff system so even if you finish top you still got a, a semi-final and a final to win to be to get the trophy mm -hmm. and that really changed the the shift of you know the marathon um it's still a marathon but then you've got a sprint at the end uh, and that was brilliant for me so you you might get to the top one or two and you're very close, now we go again. And yeah. so you're setting a, a kind of a micro objective versus the macro. And that, and that's what I think business needs is constant um, reassessing, re-objective, um, re you know, setting. And, you know, if you've not got somebody thinking about that the whole time, which is my job in our business, strategy-wise, mm. then you're always, you're always going to be a bit of a yo-yo, up mm. and down, up and down. And, and, you know, everyone wants to see, you know, finance and, and um, investors want to see that growth, you know, yeah. you know, going upwards without, you know, the, the, the life, the life, success life uh, mountain is always down, up, down, up, down, yeah. up. But, it, yeah. but, but, but in business, everyone likes to see that. That's right. That's, that's a really interesting point there. This kind of unsustainable growth, you know, it's a it's a thing we aspire to. But and actually, in reality, reality doesn't doesn't play out that way. So Andrew, there's some great takeaways there for the kind of leadership stuff. We'll come back into the leadership in a minute. Uh, but what I'd really like to do is uh, find out more about the company that you're working for at the moment uh, and and how that kind of transitioned from your dad uh, running this business over to you. What was that like? Oh, it was great. I mean, I think in, in life, you're very lucky to find something that you do day in, day out that you can be passionate about and that you care about. But I think I was really fortunate that when I first came in, I came in as a sort of consultant. I was kind of like, Dad, what, where are we? What what industry are we pigeonholed in? You know, you know, what's the marketing? What's the strategy? Blah, blah, blah. And he was kind of like, oh, God, what have I done? I brought him <laughs> in now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he luckily him and I get on so well and we have so much respect for one another. And he was a massive... What was nice for me is him being such a support to me during my career and a mentor to me and his friends were mentors to me that that it was my way of giving back in, in a way it wasn't necessarily the move I wanted to make I wanted to do my own thing um so it felt like a bit of giving back and then once I was in and I started to understand it then I just became obsessed 
with trying to create the industry that we in because we were so niche you know so you would say we're in waste management but we don't waste anything for me personally that might be critical but it, it seemed like a tick box you know um and actually um some of the bodies that i've spoken to recently have talked about companies meeting minimum standards you know so when a standard is met they meet the minimum to tick the box to then you know go off and do their to, to win the business and, and provide their service or product and i hated that in sport you, you're going to be mid-table you're going to be fighting relegation the whole time and and i, I really i just i that that was sour in my mouth so i i became then pretty obsessed with um asking these bodies you know we need to drive the agenda we need to and some of them i wasn't a member of but i was saying you need to do more we need to do more you know what can we do so there was that constant pushing and, and probing because the hardest thing for me was i then went into sales and, and you, it's about opening doors it's about engagement with the customer showing your passion um them needing you know building a requirement then needing your service or product and so your messaging and how you uh, communicate um, had a dramatic impact on how people played or how they did a job. And, and that was a bit of a like, wow. So doing that for your customer then gave me the intrigue of my messaging, my language, um, what I was saying mm -hmm. to create that, that requirement and demand that they didn't know that they, they had. And it might not be, by the way, their role either so i built um a big network around it um and then what am i giving i need to give education i need to challenge and give education and also look at your competition which i have done but i'm not an expert on the competition but it's to build something unique that is very different and then communicate that and educate to being bring up best practice which i i i believe in certain parts I have done and achieved. Brilliant. And then it's about then going to the next level and the next level so that they're always playing catch up. Now, Jack, my dad, didn't really want me to tell people what we were doing. Uh, and there was a couple of reasons for that because competition, you know, in the age of the internet and websites, you know, the moment you put something on your website and you say, I'm doing this, the, the competitor will see it and then they're just doing it, whether it's true or not. So then I spent a lot of time trying to drag out the business, business intelligence to prove that we were doing that. What we said we were doing on the tin was actually driving our revenue. And so um, the hardest bit of all of that was the customer, finding the customer that cared, and there wasn't many of them. And then obviously winning the business when it becomes almost a reverse auction, if you like. Mm. Um, and then the, when you're trying to win big enterprise, the nature of the churn of individual. So there's a level of lack of consistency uh, in that. So it takes a lot of time to, to, to win your revenue and your profit. It takes a lot of time on the front end sales. And then it was, it was kind of all me. So it's right. We need to build a team here. And, and there wasn't enough investment and we had no marketing and you just go through all of these um, challenges in a business. Um, so I, I'm so blessed that I'm in the position I'm in now um, having transitioned the business now from family to 
an SME, um, becoming more corporate and having some incredible investors in the business that we can really, really go now. Um, so that's it. That's my sort of second phase, my next stage. But I thought phase one, I feel like I've failed because phase one took, um, I pretty much joined in 2011 and it took till 2021. So it took a decade phase one. And I thought it would be five years. I thought it would be that easy. And it's not, um, phase two, you know, will take how long, however long it takes. And it's our decision. Um, I'm sure it'll be a lot quicker now. Um, but we're into scale, big scaling. And, and yeah. that's, that's, you know, I'm learning, you know, every day on that front with great support, um, people around. So, so yeah, so I, it's, it, it was, I was blessed that even though I didn't know I wanted to join once, once I eventually found dad's passion and the, you know, the fact that I felt I owed him and then now the legacy of wanting to create something that's revolutionary because and give that that's his legacy drives me forward um, yeah. you know, every single day. I love it. And, and, and conversations that we've had around this is that uh, what I love about your injuries is that you're, you're trying to marry uh, things that sometimes aren't always married. So, you know, we live in a capitalist society. Where we've got to make money. Businesses have got to make money, you know, and, and, and you've, you're passionate about that. But also it's your sustainability. So, so um, you know, doing the right thing for the environment, because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's something that we all have to kind of leave as a legacy to our uh, our children. Um, and so finding that, that marriage between, you know, it, it being a business, your business, the business of the people actually creating this potential waste mountain. Um, uh, have you come up with the solution then? What What is your solution? Yeah, so I think I think if I just go, if it's all right with UTC, just go back one step, which sure. is um, I'll get to the solution. But the the, the the where are we now? The challenge. Ah, yes. Um, yeah, is very much um, our population is growing. The internet technology we, we if we're in business and we're in life and we're we're lucky we're at the top echelons of being wealthy everyone has devices and if you look we, because of covid if you look in your house now we're full of technology mm-hmm. um and i'm focused on under we i'm i'm focused on the telecoms and technology so it's the service providers that provide you the access um the broadband the the, the landline the so it's those technology companies and then it's the users that are using the technology. If I just look at my own self and I'm in recycling and reuse, my house is full of, you know, there's five of us in the house. It's full of technology. And actually the UK is leading the way by a mile in um, technology mountains in their own homes currently today. It averagely, it's averaged above 25 kilos per household. And compared to Europe, it's about seven to 10. So we're miles in front. The UK has an issue. Um, and not only that, we, we, there's more demand. 5G is coming. So your 4G handset won't with 5G. So there's going to be more handsets. So more population, more handsets. Hopefully we're getting wealthier. So that means the digital poverty, um, the lack of, you know, what, what COVID also highlighted was the lack of devices um, for the children that were trying to learn at home. You know, and one family, um, digital poverty, had one device. Dad's got to work on it. Mum's got to work on it. Kids are trying to be educated. There just wasn't enough. So we created um, a digital poverty charity 
um, donatorlaptop.co.uk. You can actually now go and find schools that are still in need of devices so that this kind of hybrid world we're going to be living in now, as soon as there's going to be a bit of a spike or there's going to be um, a variant um, come, come, uh, coming loose, um, you know, that we're still providing technology to, to the children for, for the future of their education. Now, that is one problem, population up, more devices up. The other is that how we, where we are now is how we've manufactured. And so I'm sure you'll know this and anyone in technology, we don't necessarily report on the manufacturing and the um, embodied carbon emissions in technology. We just don't. You can access it and you, you, you can get it, but we just don't. And so when it was tough to get an audience the whole time, and we're in this decade now of net zero, 2050, which seems crazy, it's so far out, but the UK was the first government to say, we're gonna be net zero 2050. Um, Technology companies have been, some of them, uh, shout out to somebody like Microsoft, for instance. They were the first, for me, technology company to come out and say, we are doing this. And it was, it was when I read it and I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Uh, and they were, they were not saying we're going to be net zero as soon as possible. You know, they, what they were saying was all the carbon emissions that we, since the 70s, since Microsoft's been in manufacturing, Wow. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna replace all of that, which was ama- which is amazing, absolutely amazing. So you know that they're they're they've got their roadmap, they've got their journey, and if everyone anyone's interested, just read it because it's it is fascinating, the level of detail and the level that they're going to um, to become um, carbon negative, which wow. is which is incredible. And what's great today is uh, companies are saying we're planting trees. I think that's amazing. I think we should all plant trees. Um, but the context of planting trees is actually skewed because I think it's something like this uh, statistics from the UN came that we, for the last 20 years, we've, we've planted um, 59 million hectares uh, of trees. And companies have used that in offsetting. They've used that as a as a sort of green agenda and a green support. And I think it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Mm. But in the context of the world, we've cut down seven times that amount in the 20 years. Yeah. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. And so this isn't a green solution. Um, we should just plant trees anyway. If we're going to cut them down at that rate, we need to replace them. So we are uh, a capitalist linear uh, economy where we take from the earth we make a product and then literally we throw it away and dump it and and plastics is a classic example of that because we don't have the solution so all of this great stuff of design and creation of products nobody then designs how easy it is to disassemble or recycle it and reuse those materials that circular economy which is what has been created just doesn't exist now there are parts to us businesses that make products that are creating circular um circular methodologies and using reusing materials but it's a very low percentage of the product so we're on the journey we're we're at the start but what we need to do is accelerate we need to push it harder and we need to show people that you know that this just doesn't exist as yet so i won't sleep easy until 
this product here, which is my iPhone in my hands, is made from 100% recycled material all the way into the circuit board, the glass, everything. Now, Apple are, uh, have stipulated they're going to do that with no time frame. And how are they also then going to do that in uh, zero carbon emissions, um, manufacturing, redesign, remanufacture? How are they going to do that? Yeah. So that was the bit that was always of interest to me. So then I went and found out, so all the stuff I trade, so as a recycler, we break it down into its component parts, so aluminium, steel, copper, um, you know, the, the rare, you know, not the rare earths as yet, but the, um, uh, the plastic separated, you know, we separate and then we trade that to the market and then that goes into reuse and recycling. So cable, we have two cable granulators, when you take the cable, you just think people just dump it in a room and it's, you know, it's taken care of. We're actually separating those, we're granulating them down into little sugar, copper, pure copper and, and plastic. Those are all reused. We trade those on, get maximum capitalist price, and then they're reused in manufacturing pretty much to make cable again. That's where we are now. The future is something that we looked at and, and Jack and I uh, researched looked at and we found uh, a professor at Coventry University. It was just fortuitous. And we worked out, Jack was always looking at the, the challenge of getting the metals off the circuit board because it's a fiberglass board. So the manufacturing and design. So the design is a challenge and a problem. So they need to redesign that now so that you can, uh, even if you use the thermal that you can break down and you don't have to use thousands of degrees you know you can just so they're looking at ways of designing that you know more um easier to disassemble well that's fine that's great so design loads of investment what about the billions trillions of cards that are currently out there being fed into these refineries um we need to stop that so we were looking at how do we do something that is not harmful we're not using thermal we're not using acids and we found a way, and it's an old mining uh, term, which is bio-leaching. Um, and it sounds horrendous, doesn't it, leaching? But <laughs> effectively, yeah. um, some of the iron ore slag heaps, there was this kind of rustiness happening uh, in the iron ore. And it was actually bacteria that was um, extracting copper. And so it's a similar methodology that we're using with the circuit boards to use bacteria, which is not harmful to the environment, um, we'll use thermal, but not, we're talking 30 degrees, not a thousand degrees, um, to stimulate the bacteria to break down um, the metals in the circuit board. And um, the bacteria actually um, was able to, some of the adhesive, which is copper and tin, that was gluing the, the gold onto, actually um, ate away at those coppers and separated the copper and left the leaf. So um, we, we're now able to, through bioleaching, extract the gold, pure gold from these boards, ha having no harm to the environment. So we're now at stage two. So by November, um, we've worked on copper, gold, and we're now then on to um, form um, some more noble metals. And then we're into the precious metals. And then we'll get to the rare earth metals. So we've, Brilliant. yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's, I wish I'd studied harder in biology and chemistry. I wish I had. Um, yeah. uh, but luckily we've got the support of scientists and professors that, that, that this is their game, this is their world. And Brilliant. it's absolutely fascinating. So I'm being educated every, every day, new terminology. 
And um, yeah, we're, we're scaling, we're going, we, we've proved it works and now we need to, we need to go. And, and, and what's nice, um, TC is, and, 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 and forgive me, it may sound arrogant because it's, and it's not, is that you spend 10 years trying to plead with people and say, this is really important, we need to do this. And hopefully now the switch with net zero around the corner uh, and we're in it now and it's, it's, it's law. Uh, net zero for uh, certain businesses is that hopefully people will, will be knocking on our door rather than me knocking on theirs and, and I'm really excited about that and so we've got a duty really to to go quickly and scale. Brilliant I love this I, I love this kind of elegant solution that you created and using old techniques which probably have sat dormant in uh, in kind of history books you know and you've kind of <laughs> almost resurrected it and um, I'm really curious again uh, around the the business aspect of this i mean it, you're, you're turning a profit with this by extracting this information this sorry start again by extracting these uh, rare elements and, and general elements as well you know copper and what have you this is actually turning a, a profit from a social perspective i think the sdgs help um the world and, and people say what's an sdg there are 17 sustainable development goals the un um set up um i think in 2014 20, and, you know, aligning your business to those goals, I think is very, very important. So there's a social aspect of that. We're creating new roles, new jobs for the future, which is, you know, which is a really cool place to be. Uh, and the whole evidence base and work with universities. So it's, you know, from a sports perspective, going into business, it's now having academia supporting your business is, is a really incredible social value. Um, and then um, environment which I always cared about. I've traveled around the world on planes. Um, you know, I've never been that comfortable with it. Um, and, but I've enjoyed that period of my life um, and been respectful of other people's countries and making sure I don't leave it in a worse state than I found it sort of thing. And so the environment I really care about and that's part of sustainability is, is um, the environment. And then what makes the world go around is the economy is, is, you know, is, is money. So, and when you get all three, that means you're sustainable. So we're working with government now to tell them exactly what the values are. But it's hard to forecast when you don't know how much dysprosium is actually worth. There's all there's also that. So we've we've we're trying to create a new industry. We're trying to create a new vertical, something so niche and so specialist, and also learn about what has happened, learn what could be happening in the future. So it's yeah. I mean, now you know why I don't really switch off <laughs> i mean there's a, there's a lot of dimensions and also as you describe you know you're on a learning curve but it's your passion and your uh, wanting I, I get i guess if i can relate back to your kind of rugby days is that desire to win you want to win for for the betterment of everybody and that's yeah. fantastic I'm, I'm also interested in the fact that there's legislation that's becoming i love the idea of the un uh, sdg goals you, uh, you described yeah. you know which are which, which are brilliant and i think i've seen kind of various icons of that appear and companies aligning to these values which is great yeah. it's um it's, it's almost like a vision uh, collectively um what about legislation here in the uk or globally are are the laws in place that are going to make sure that companies that are manufacturing this stuff do the right thing yeah i mean um I think I'll come back to the minimum standards being met. Um, <laughs> what, 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 what the beauty about net zero for me is the transparency of everything now. And, and net zero is the, uh, you know, I think sustainable development goes were fantastic because the world, you know, in certain parts is in a mess. Um, you know, certain things in the US, certain things in South Africa, certain things in the UK, 
you know, there, there are parts to it, you know, of humanity, which are, are massive challenges. Um, diversity, for instance, all, all of these things that we need to address, those are very important. But for me, we won't have those if we don't sort our climate change out. <laughs> right? so, yeah. so, so everyone knows this, but what can you do about it? You know, legislation, no diesel cars by 2030, that needs to be brought forward. I'm really sorry. You know, it's crazy. So technology is a solution, but it's also a challenge and a problem. And I think technology is something like 2% of the world's carbon emissions. It could be in 10 years, 14%, 15, 15 years, 14% if we don't acknowledge what we're doing today. So technology has got a huge job to do. So yeah. I think there's a real... Um, uh, play and excitement around net zero for me because if you don't assess what you are currently today and know how bad or good you are how are you then going to set a roadmap and a strategy for the future so i'm assessing my entire uh scope one two and three emissions today to get a view of where i'm at so i can now set with my board and my company and my staff i can set a strategy to help them be greener and and help them uh, as individuals as well as the company and what it stands for. So we're doing that today. Now, can I help my supply chain? And my, well, of course I'm gonna help them because if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna assess scope three emissions, unfortunately, where we are now, I'm gonna be assessing the refiners that I potentially sell directly to. Yes. If, if I sell to a, um, a, a, um, a company that recycles and buys my steel, and my, where are they then sending it? So I, I'll need them to assess where they're selling that that product to to find out their carbon emissions, which will actually in, in affect and impact. Um, and the nice thing is, I come back to uh, TC is, I guess my goal was to pigeonhole me, put me in the box where I am. I'm not e-waste, but I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out that e-waste challenge and trying to create a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm doing it with high grade technology. I'm like, wow, this is Brilliant. this is actually really exciting because you know the information that we're going to gather to help one another is so valuable. It's so yeah. valuable, and then you can then you can actually say to everyone, we are green, or whatever your statement is. So I want to be the greenest e-waste company, but I'm not even in e-waste. I want to be the you know the most sustainable, redefining the technology lifecycle. Whatever that strategy is, I want to be the best. And I want to be the greenest. I can only do that if I prove it with scientific, you know, science-based metrics. Science is telling me that that is true. I love that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, and look up your the listeners. Look up the SBTI. Uh, so it's science-based target initiative. It's it's voluntary. You pay money. You have two years to assess yourself and and put together your commitment to climate change, which is one and a half degrees. Now, whatever that is, there's a lot of business on there. Um, how many business SMEs are in the UK? We're in millions, aren't we? Millions of SMEs. Um, and if you if you don't hit two of the three criteria, then you don't have to report. So at the moment on the SBTI, which is voluntary, there's only nearly 1,600 companies in the world. I find that staggeringly low. Yeah. You know, when you think about all of, you know, what is it, 98% um, of the economy in the UK is made up of SMEs. So it's not mandatory as yet, but I, I still think it should be and it will be. So I'm, I'm off. I'm, I'm doing it. So I hope that it will inspire other SMEs that are listening now and the leaders of those SMEs to assess and look at exactly what your carbon emissions are. It's a small investment to make for the future of your business to be relevant 
and 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 to and, and to to have customers at the end of the day. Brilliant, and we'll put the details there onto the web uh, podcast web page so that uh, the audience can kind of engage in and encourage people to do that because. As as uh, as you can tell from Andrew's passion and and, and mine uh, is that you know th- this is an important topic uh, that is important to all of us. So so Andrew, um, as we kind of come towards the end of our time together, I just wanted to kind of ask you around any material that you think you'd recommend for people, any books that have inspired you and kind of driven you further into this kind of uh, avenue. I mean, there's there's kind of so many. So at the moment, the book um, you'll be surprised to know that. <laughs> is um it is called the um the elements of power it's a book on um rare earth metals in the industry right um and yeah it's you know for me it's i've got to be the expert right so it's by david abraham the elements of uh, elements of power it's gadgets guns and the struggle for a sustainable future in the rare metal age. Love and I'm, I'm halfway through at the moment and it's absolutely mind blowing. It really is. So that's a book that I'm, that I'm reading, but I've got, you know, my book bookshelf is all around, you know, leadership, um, you know, driving best practice mindset. Um, I, I really enjoyed the fourth industrial revolution because I think that's so future you know the the element of the future and and what what is the potential of coming so everything is kind of linked to you know the kind of technology i guess that that um uh the i tried as well i tried uh the four hour working week oh yes <laughs> the great book yeah uh, I, I haven't i haven't conquered that one that that's no, tough no, no. i mean that's really tough and, and you know that's about life and balance and you know fascinating which is by Tim Ferriss, you know, and he's got podcasts which are which are fascinating as well. Um, but yeah, I, I struggled with the four hour work. Yes, I've, I've read the I've read the four hour book. I haven't read the others, so they're going to go on my book list. Thank you for sharing those, and 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 also audience when the when the podcast is out on the web page, share your books around this subject and that Andrew's very passionate about. What are the books that were the gateway for you you as well? Now, just as we come towards the end of our time together, Andrew, I'm going to offer you a wish. I'm a tech genie, okay? I'm going to offer you a wish. What would your tech leadership wish be around your industry? I, I think um, for uh, companies that are, that are leading on technology, but also the companies that are big, big users and consumers is very much the board. It's the C-level, the CTO, CIO, is that collaboration of, of, of actually caring. So there's, a, there's an element that you've got your silos of, of, of responsibility, but, but the boards now need to share this element of net zero, uh, what technology is doing, um, how sustainable is it, how green is it? I, I want that across the board in, in the C-suite that, that they do care and that they do see it. It, 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 it. Once you deep dive into it and dig into it, you'll see how meaningful it is and how it will affect your procurement in the future. Supply chain will tell procurement, this is this is the requirement. And, and the requirements do need to change. We've got to stop flipping we're just consuming so much product yeah. i'm not saying you should buy reused uh, product I'm not saying you still buy new um the technologies are just so you know quick to develop transformations but i think it's the conscious effort to make sustainability net zero 
part of those decision-making processes. That would be my one wish. Uh, and, and obviously the technology sector becoming greener and proving it uh, and showing that, that you have the ability to buy sustainably. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's a big wish uh, for mine. And, and now, you know, there's um, the CRN, of, of, uh, which I'm a judge to for sustainability awards. You know, they, they're basically saying lead, don't lag. You know, don't be a laggard. Don't 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 be reactive when your competitor's done it. You should go out and drive it because I think it gets further engagement. I've seen big um, SIs that that have, have have put this out there, and the amount of employees that are engaged and as part of their role now, they are now on sustainability and they're they're creating the narrative in their own business as well as for their customers because the customers want to hear it now. They do want to hear, how are you sustainable? It isn't a notch anymore on a on a on on an RFP or an ITT. Oh, by the way, how green are you? What, what do you do for charity, blah, blah, blah. It, it's systemic now across um, policy and ITIL, you name it, it's in there, sustainability. And if you're not getting points for it, you're not going to win. You can be the cheapest, but you're not going to win. Brilliant, I love that. And a great note to finish on, Andrew. It's been wonderful to speak to you. You've inspired me to be even more inspired by a topic that's important to all of us. So thank you for your time, sir. A win. Thank you, TC. Wow. What an eco-warrior with a serious business head. I love Andrew's mindset and passion to continue his father's work, creating a solution to an industry that has served us well, but also created a bit of a mess. So what were your key takeaways? These were mine. My first key takeaway is around solutions that are already out there. Innovations that were discovered in the past that are now better ways of doing things right now. As mentioned in the podcast, these dormant pearls of wisdom sitting in books waiting to be rediscovered, ready to meet the challenges that we face today and now. Innovations literally sitting on shelves. My second key takeaway is around the importance of circular economies and how they will help to address the growing power of tech and the subsequent waste it creates. It makes sense environmentally and it makes sense from a business lens as well. My third and final key takeaway is around something that I saw in Andrew, integrity in business. Andrew's passion about not just creating a sticky plaster for the problem that we face, but solving it holistically through legislation, through networks, through customers that are passionate, equally passionate about solving the problem as well, and through methods that are more efficient, energy saving and environmentally sound. It's not just about the bottom line. So thank you, Andrew, for sharing your passion and raising the awareness of the great work you and your team at N2S are doing. And kudos to that wonderful, inspiring father of yours that set this all up and set you on this path. I look forward to seeing the impact that you and your team are having on the industry and getting those circular economies revved up to become a beacon of examples to businesses marrying the planet's needs to that of the business. May the circular force Remain strong in you, Andrew, and your business. Thank you for your time. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture, and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders 
favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.